Kavinka Britson is going to do in the 1500. He has time to look behind him. 20 years of age, and he is on top of the world. But coming down for a maiden national crowd, Cornwall is a champion. Stephen Deneen is a well-known coach on the Australian middle distance and distance running scene. A fast runner himself, with PBs ranging from 3.48 over 1,500 metres to 65 minutes for the half marathon. These days, Stephen is a coach to dozens of strong runners, ranging from leading juniors to world-beating masters athletes. We caught up with Stephen and jumped down a bunch of rabbit holes, from training methods to tapering for the marathon, to the use of performance enhancing drugs and heaps more. Before we get into it, a quick word from the sponsor of this episode, ASICS. Nothing feels better than the GT2000 12 shoe. Stable, cushioned, smooth. Shop now at asics.com.au. Lastly, if you enjoy this episode, it would mean a lot if you press subscribe and take the time to leave a five-star review. This way, we can keep punching out yarns like this for many years to come. Stephen, it's, you've been on a, a short list of, of coaches to, and runners to get on the podcast for a while now. Uh, it's lovely to have you here. No, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here, you know. I've dealt with you guys for a long time now, and it's uh, love listening to what you guys do, and uh, thanks for having me along. Happy days. I, I was doing a bit of research, like, before the pod, and um, I, I've stumbled across an article on Runner's Tribe from, like, years, like, six or seven years ago, Grace Callick wrote, and... It went all into you and how busy you are and how you structure your day. And I was like, I can't even remember that. Like RT's been around that long. I didn't even didn't even remember we did that, but that was cool. <laughs> yeah, no, nah, a lot's gone since then. I think I've had two more kids. So a lot's gone uh since the first article, really. A lot's changed in my world since then as well. What how how many kids do you have now? I've now got three. So I've got uh Brookie, who's who's my oldest, who's nine, and then I've got uh Billy, who's almost five, and Emmy, who's just turned three. Mate, I would be getting the snip if I was you at that stage, hey? Yeah, it's, uh, it keeps me out of trouble, put it that way, having so many kids. Well, I've got two and it's busy, but I don't um, I don't think, you know, a third kid just seems a little insane to me at this point in my life, but, you know. Uh, you guys yeah. said everyone, the biggest change you ever get is from no kids to one. Two to three, three to four, four to five, yeah, it's a change, but there's nothing like zero to one. I was in Sydney a few weeks ago and I caught up with Ben Liddy's squad. Who you probably know Ben Liddy. Is a, and I did a bit of a session with his squad there. And there was like all these just kids in there, you know, from 18 to, I don't know, 26 maybe. And I was just like, their, their lives just seem so amazing. I don't think, I hope they realise that that's the best point in their life right now, hey, at that stage. Yeah, it's um, it's funny you say that because like I get a lot of my athletes come to me and say, you know, they're really busy. You know, it's really hard to get the training. And then I find out, you know, they're single, they're at uni. I'm like, if you can't get training now, it's really hard. But then I've got to pinch myself. Remember, when I was at uni, I was probably in the same boat, doing exactly the same thing. So it's all relative to our lives, I reckon. It is, it is. Mate, um, there's a lot I want to get into. I'm going to dive deep into your training and your coaching and your, your own running. And, you know, but 
just quickly, like just a bit of background. You're obviously you're an osteopath, right? You run a you run a kind of a busy business. Um, is that still is that still pumping along? Yeah, I run a big business in Doncaster, Melbourne. There, so I've got like a, a, our own clinic with six rooms and probably about a staff of twelve. And uh, got osteos there. It's a massage shop that are really good. So, no, big busy clinic. It's uh, really good to have really good good staff there. So, works uh, mowing along really nicely. Gotcha. And then I guess the other side to your life that obviously is full of passion and what you've spent a lot of your life doing is coaching. And so. Give, give, give everyone a rundown. I mean, I just think Melbourne's going to be bored by this, but the people, you know, in the other parts of the country and in the US and the UK, like how many athletes do you coach? What variety? I mean, are you coaching juniors? Are you coaching masters athletes? Are you coaching everyone? Give us just a bit of a rundown on that. Yeah, so it's pretty um a broad group we've got down there at uh, in Melbourne where I coach at the uh, basis. I was generally at a box athletics club. Um, I've got probably roughly, oh, I, can, I did the other night, 80 to 90 athletes roughly, on the books that we look after, um, they range from juniors. We've got about 20 juniors, um, and they're all middle distance guys, 8, 15, 3K, 5K. I've then got a big group of sort of rec runners. There's probably about 40, 50 of them. That's sort of like you consider more your fun runners, club runners. Um, and, again, they range from, you know, guys in their 20s to one of my athletes. He's in his mid-60s. He goes to World Masters. So our range is pretty broad, guys and girls. And then we've got our elite group, which is probably about a dozen at the moment. Um, and we do pretty much track, road, trail, 800 up to the marathon. You know, a couple of my boys love doing ultras. Um, so, yeah, we're pretty broad. And we sort of approach it as a um, big group. It's more like a family. But also, as we go along coaching, we individualize as we go along what people's needs are. Um, I tell all my athletes, I don't really care what you want to do, how you want to do it. You guys just tell me what you want to do. And I'll tell you how we go about it. So, you know, there's a couple of guys in my group that don't want to want to race. The simple fact is they love to train and they don't want to race. And they said, can I still be part of the group? I said, of course. You don't need to, you know, it doesn't worry me what they do. If, if they don't want to race, don't race. Other guys sort of and girls are in that period of their life where they're probably more uh, that social uni lifestyle where their training is probably not quite as committed. And I've got no problems with that. The fact that they get to a training session on a Saturday morning after being out uni partying on a Friday, I'm impressed. So... We sort of attach to everyone's needs. Some want to make Australian teams. Some want to make state teams. Some want to get fit, lose weight, and some just don't know what they want to do. They just want to have a good group. So we're pretty broad, and um, our goal is, you know, we do sessions, and it's more like a family, and often um, you have five, six sessions going on at once, and that's fine. Um, and part of that stems from probably my uh, how I grew up. I'm one of eight kids, so I grew up in a household with eight kids, six boys, and None of my brothers did running. My brothers did cricket, some did footy, some did tennis. So we all got along and, you know, did stuff together. But you don't have to be all in exactly the same goal to uh, be getting along and doing things together. And that's awesome. Are you writing these athletes individualised programs for every single one? Or is it more kind of rock up Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and I'll set you a session on that day and then you just, you know, how does it work? So basically it works with, there's a few different options. So... Um, so I'll come into summer now. We've come into summer. I've just said to everyone, look, these are the races coming up. First of all, who wants to race track? Yep, these guys want to race track. What races do you want to do? These guys want to do some road races. These guys want to do some marathons. Um, these guys, they just want to stay fit. So I figure out what everyone's goals are. And those that have more specific goals or tougher goals get more probably exact sessions. Um, other teammates will jump in and do parts of it. Um, so I'll 
I don't give sessions out until the week. In my head, I've got it figured out pretty much till Christmas what all our group are doing. Um, but with 70, 80 people, things are so varied. Like I've got one of the boys doing a marathon in two weeks. I've got uh, Andre did the uh, 5K News Vault last week. A junior's doing racing last week. Uh, tonight, I've got about... Go? Sorry? How did Andre go? Yeah, good. He got second behind Jack. So he's Andre's good. He's uh, coming up, getting ready for Zatapex. So he... You know, did a good like, 14.04 in Noosa, strong running. He's just in the building process. So he did really well. But I was juggling his while I had probably 12 juniors doing juniors. And tonight I've got about 15 athletes doing uh, 3K at uh, Vic Milers. So I'll come up with some sessions on a Tuesday. I'll have about five or six variances. And then as people come down, we pick it towards them. Uh, and same thing too is we'll have sessions where I'll say, guys, Tuesday, 6 p.m. Box Hill. If you can't make training, let me know and I'll give you your individual session to do by yourself. And the way our program works out, we do a Tuesday, Saturday session, Sunday long run. The juniors do a Thursday speed work. So if one of my main, you know, senior runners, for some reason, held up at work or whatever they can on a Tuesday, they can always jog Tuesday and move their session to Wednesday. So we're quite flexible with their lifestyles. Gotcha. So it's only the juniors that do speed on a Thursday. What does everyone else just do a long run on a Thursday? Or? Yeah, most of them do a long run. So what we've done is we do a bigger Tuesday, Saturday session. And because uh, what I was finding out is my athletes aren't full-time athletes in terms of that's all they do. They work, they study. So I was finding with a Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, they were just getting to races a bit tired and just a little bit undone. So we decided to make Tuesday, Saturday bigger, get rid of Thursday. They'll do a long run Wednesday, cruise Thursday. Um, sometimes in, you know, track season, if they've got a big race on, we might give a few of them a light Thursday speed session just to turn their legs over. But generally, it's just another double double run or single run. So we find with that, the results have got much better and it allows our Tuesday and Saturdays to be a bit bigger sessions. Nice, man. Often a bit of a tangent, but the 3,000 metre, that's tonight, hey? Yeah, that's tonight. Vic Milers. Yeah. Um, and then that's followed by next week in Victoria, we have the Vic 5K champs as well. So okay. some of my athletes are doing the 3K tonight, 5K next week. Some are just doing the 5K next week. Yeah. And some are only doing the 3K this week. So all those guys are on a similar program, but depends whether they're doubling up or not, whether we change it or not. And out of interest, the, the athletes that are racing tonight, 3,000 metres, you know, what sort of – did you take it easy on Tuesday or did they just have normal training and then a Wednesday easy run or did they – or did you kind of give them like a pretty light session on Tuesday night? So on Tuesday, all the juniors that raced on the weekend, they had a light session Tuesday, two days later. All those that are racing um, tonight, they just had two 400s at 3K race pace and then four 200s a little bit quicker just to get their legs turning over. Yeah. And then those that aren't racing, they either did two to four by a 2K 400-400 set or a couple of them just got a bit of a different version, did some miles, and a couple got given some progressive runs. Nice, nice. Um, I wanted to just quickly chat about Reese Edwards, who won the Melbourne Marathon the other week, 213. Um, obviously, he's an endurance freak um, machine, I meant to say. <laughs> um, and he he was saying that kind of he really, you know, he was thankful for the Tuesday night sessions with you, um, just hammering it out in a group. Can we just go into a little bit about um, those track sessions on the Tuesday night, what sort of work Reese was doing? Yeah, of course. So, Reese and I, I did a race at the AV season at Ballarat um, and then I was cooling down and Reese just came past and he goes, look, can I jump in with you guys? I see you've got Andre there, you've got Dale Carroll, I had Sam Toll before his injury, had Ben Kelly. He's got some really quick guys there. Can I do some work there? I said, yeah, look, 
come, we'll have a jog, we'll have a chat about it and see what goes on. So we had a chat. I said, come on down. Um, Reese is a bit like, um, I've got to know him pretty well now. He's a bit like Liam Adams in terms of the ability of endurance Liam and Reese can handle is crazy. The stuff that Liam Adams does that I'm just like, you just can't give that to 99% of athletes. They just break. And um, speaking to Reese, what he does, you know, he does ultras as well. But yeah. this is this endurance beast, as you said, he's a freak. And I realized Reese can um, really get good miles into himself. And it's really good. So <clears throat> speaking to Reese about his marathon, we kind of chatted. I said, look, I think, you know, I look at each athlete individual. So when an athlete comes to me, I look at how we can help them. Um, and for Reese, I look at him and said, look, we can't really improve your endurance too much more because you're a freak at the endurance. What you can do is work on your 5, 10, 15 half marathon stuff, get your speed up. And that's what he was keen on. So I said, look, come jump in. Um, our squad has two two rules. The first rule is you train smarter, not harder. And the second rule is no dickheads. That's just a simple rule. If you're an idiot, we don't want to coach you because it causes too much trouble. We don't care how good someone is. If they're an idiot, we just don't bother with it. And so Reese was good in both areas. He was such a great guy um, and he was happy to listen. So he was jumping in sessions with uh, Andre when he came down. He did a lot with Dale Carroll. You know, Dale Carroll won the Gold Coast 10K. He's also won the Melbourne 10K. So Dale's a really good 10K runner, young guy, good talent, pure speed. And Dale's probably coming from the opposite end of Reese, where Dale's got all this speed, but he's probably missing more the endurance. And so I'm looking at Reese going, look, you've got all the endurance, not the speed. So you two guys over 10K are going to be good for each other. So they jumped in. Um, and we're going to do just some sessions, really simple sessions of um, six by a mile. What I've been doing a lot with my guys is um, change of pace. So I'd give the guys six by a mile, but I'd pick out a different lap each rep where they've got to do it quicker. So example is the boys are running three-minute K pace, 72 second laps for the mile. I'd say, all right, first lap, 72, second lap, 72, third lap, 68, fourth lap, 72. And then the next rep, it might be you do it for the fourth lap, 68. We might do it for the first lap. So we kept mixing around and change of pace. Um, and I reckon the first one or two sessions, that's really stung Reese because Reese was going, trying to get his legs ticking quicker. He he could run all day, but the change of pace was stung him. Whereas Dale, beautiful change of pace. It was more the strength. So those guys did things like miles together. Uh, they might do the same thing, 1Ks. They could have been doing 1200s. They might have been doing a couple of 2Ks. Like a group gave a session to group just uh, Tuesday where they did 2Ks at, let's say, again, it's at 76 second pace. Then they do two 400s around about 68, and they do that three to four times. So that change of pace is what really stings a lot of people's legs. That's what the boys have been practicing. And so for Reese, you're working on his probably weakness, which is change of pace, speed. Um, and I think that's what's helped him the most. There's no doubt I didn't get Reese any stronger. He's a strong boy. He's done a lot of work. Um, Reese is on, I think, a 213 is PB. I think within a year or two, if Reese can get that change of pace, get his 10K work going half marathon, I think Reese can run 210 to 211. He's just got to get sort of that speed work going while maintaining his strength. Whereas for a guy like Andre, Andre did a couple of sessions with the boys and just blew them away because his change of pace is really good. But if Andre did a marathon with Reese, he comes back a bit because his strength's not quite where it needs to be. Um, and a great example in Melbourne Marathon was um, Ryan Gregson. I thought Ryan ran a sensational marathon at Melbourne Marathon. He did really well. Um, but again, Ryan's change of pace is sensational. He's done a good half. His 10K is brilliant. We all know how good he's at the shorter stuff. But Reese has probably got a bit more strength on him at the moment. And so I was saying to Reese, you don't need to work on your strength. You need to work on your change of pace, a bit more speed. 
Uh, whereas a guy like Andre or even, you know, Ryan Gregson, they're probably trying to build their strength up where Reese has already got it. And that's awesome. That's awesome. The, um, in terms of eight, like most of your athletes kind of 1500 meters and above, do you dip into the 800 meter zone much? Yeah, definitely. One of my boys won the um, state 800. And actually one of my girls won the state 800 uh, all schools last week. Um, Ellie Brooks, uh, Remy Williams won it last year. I think he won second. He got, uh, he won the 15 as well. So yeah, definitely in the juniors get down to the eight. Uh, um, I probably juniors do a lot more eight fifteen. A lot of my open guys would be eight more 15, 15, five. And let's, I just want to, I want to pick your brain a bit on um, <clears throat> sort of the winter training for these, for the athletes who you deem to have a lot more kind of, you know, speed of 800 meters and maybe a future in 800, 1500 running compared to the future at half marathon, marathon, 10K sort of stuff. Yep. Are you in winter, let's ignore summer, but in winter, are, they, are you training these 800 meter runners the same you know, pretty much the same as you are, say, the 10K runners, or are you keeping elements of speed up during all, you know, throughout winter? How, yeah, do, so how, you, how do you do that? Are you talking about juniors or uh, seniors? I'm kind of talking about both, but let's just talk about juniors at the moment. So let's say you so have we, you know, a 16-year-old runner who has, has a lot of potential over 800 um, and 1500, you know, are you are they doing the same sort of, you know, work as a 16 or 17-year-old runner that... Um, has a more of a future over 10K and above. Yeah, um, yes and no. And the reason that is, is because when you're a junior, there aren't many 10K races. So when you're in juniors, really your longest distance on track's 3K. Like actually the 5K on track is actually an open event. Yeah. So with a lot of my juniors, I don't target them too much. I've got a few juniors over the last few years that have been sort of that 5, 10K marathon runners in the future. I've said, that's great. But while you're young, you can still develop your speed. So I probably almost get my future 10K runners longer doing more 815 3k work um with my juniors that are 815 i get them to do more 815 and in, into the 400s not so much the fifth three 3k work so with my juniors that's where we have that um thursday session even in winter we still do thursday speed <coughs> excuse me um so we do still do thursday speed where i'll give them things like um a lot of people don't realize speed pure speed is actually under 70 meters. If you're looking at someone doing pure speed, you're actually asking them, you know, don't get anything. A hundred meters isn't pure, pure speed. 70 meters is pure speed. So in the winter, I keep my young guys ticking over by giving them, you know, 30 meter reps, 40 meter reps on a Thursday. They might do a couple of 120s or 50 floats and things like, you know, just rhythm stuff. But I give a lot of my juniors pure speed over the winter and the summer, which is 30 meters, 40 meters, 50 meters max. Some he'll work over 60 as well. And awesome, awesome. Um, just quickly, uh, I want to just quickly get to your own running. Um, you've got like a a pretty versatile bunch of PBs. Um, uh, I might get some of these wrong, mate, but a 348-1500, a 29-minute low um, 10K, a 65-minute half, I think it was. So, I mean, 64. 64, oh, mate, my bad. <laughs> all the same for me. It's all that long ago. It doesn't really matter anymore. I know, I know, but... Um, obviously, you know, good times, right? I just, I want to, you know, the 1500 PB of 348, did you bang that out kind of when you were in 10K half marathon shape and it was mainly just off strength? You know, was there yeah. much speed there or was it just even split? 
banging it out, 348. Is that how you kind of achieve that? Uh, so I think, um, I actually think I got down to 47 or 46 in the end. But what happened to me is I, I ran up until I was about 18 and I stopped running. And then I played footy, cricket, do all that stuff. I came back around about uh, 24, 25, and I got into the 15s and 8s. Um, and that was going pretty well. But unfortunately, my Achilles, I had an Achilles injury. I had a, uh, I've still got a Hagler's deformity on my right Achilles, my right foot. And so I had Achilles problems. So I only trained for 1500s for about two years. And I kept on getting these Achilles. So I'd walk up to a race and be like, I just can't do the work. It's flat up. Um, then I said, well, what I've got to do is slow down and move up to 3.5K to at least try and look after it. So I moved up to a 3.5K runner. Um, I think I ran like an 8.07, 3K. I ran a 14.01, 5K of just strength work. And it was while I was doing that more consistent work, I was able to run, I think, a 3.47, I think I ran. And the reason why I ran a 3.47 was because I wasn't injured. I didn't have this Achilles flare-up. So that was done a lot of, pretty much off strength. But I've also ran like, when I was 18, I think I ran a 50 flat 400. I think I've ran a 50, 153 or 152, 800. So I always had speed, but I didn't really train for it because I was too busy playing footy and cricket. Um, so yeah, I was able to run a pretty quick 1500, but that was more off uh, 5K, maybe a bit of 10K work. Um, but this, the thing behind that was, is it's more the fact that my Achilles was able to settle down and allow me to get consistency running. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, the, the 15, yeah, around a 347, I probably could have got down a little bit quicker, but again, just my Achilles and I got back into running after a few footy injuries in my ankles and that probably what sort of cost me later on. Nice, man. I remember a podcast with Dick Telford, like I was ages ago now, can't remember, maybe six years ago. And he was talking about kind of Achilles injuries and other kind of really common injuries that middle distance runners and distance runners get. And, and he was saying, he reckoned the devil was you know, wearing spikes on tartan tracks and doing sessions um, in that stuff. And it, you know, leads to a lot of problems. Do you, do you agree? You know, like, do you, do you think it's important for these guys who are about to race on the track in spikes to do a lot of their sessions on the track in spikes or are they mainly in their flat, you know, their flats on, um, on the track? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I put, I very rarely have my athletes in spikes. You just don't need it. And there's a few reasons for that. And one of them is also too, is they go, well, I'm not quite as quick in flats. Well, that's great. So who cares? You're not going to win today. It's just a session. So yeah. I do that to look after their bodies. Um, and even too, we put them on grass in flats. And they're going, oh, well, I'm a second a lap slower. Well, there you go. You know that. Good. Tick it <laughs> off. But you're still working hard. It doesn't really matter. You get you don't get a medal for your training sessions. And I often tell my guys, do you want to be known as a really good trainer or a really good racer? And if you train really hard and flap your Achilles, you're not going to do any good. Um, but that Haglund's deformity, that injury came about because – um, the shoe company started putting the plastic cup in the back of the shoe. And so as you start running and your heel rubs against that plastic heel cup. Cannon, right? yeah. Sorry? In the heel counter, like you're yeah. talking about rubbing yeah, up so against the Achilles, yeah. If you look at um, Hagelin's deformity, which causes Achilles problems, there was none of that in the 60s or 70s because there was no plastic cup. So there's a few things that have contributed to the um, Achilles problem. It is the runners we wore for ages, the plastic cup, it wears away and, you know, I'm sure you know of a lot of runners in their 40s that have had um, Hagelin's deformity, which is the bone growth on the back of the heel. Yeah, That's only come about because of the shoes. So yeah, there's things like that, like managing the Achilles. And 
I also, as an osteo, I tell a lot of people, the Achilles isn't the problem. The Achilles becomes a problem when the calf gets too tight, you load it too much, you try and push too hard, the ankle jams up. The actual Achilles tendon isn't the problem. That's just what you actually get the symptoms with. So a lot of Achilles problems comes from other areas not functioning too well or being irritated or being overworked. Yeah. Talking about um, injuries, you know, overloading, weakness, whatever, how, how much do you you know, how often do you get your guys lifting weights? Um, you know, yeah. Yeah, so it really comes down to, I reckon I've had some crazy injuries. I said, I've had this Achilles problems. I've snapped my groin. I've had all these injuries and it's taught me a lot. Some of it's from running, but a lot of it's from when I played footy. And so I tell my athletes, you, you need to get strong. You need to get stronger. But what I find intriguing is a lot of people try and go, well, okay, I'm going to start running. I've got to hit, hit the gym and I've got to make sure my technique's good. When you're not very fit, your technique's never going to be good. You look at the Olympics and the bloke that's come 40th in the marathon that's blown up, his technique's horrible in the last 5K. Why is that? Because he's blown up. So, <coughs> excuse me, same thing when you start jogging. You've got to get fitter and do all that. So I tell my guys, first of all, if you want to get fit, start running. Don't worry about the gym just yet. Once you start getting stronger, let's see if there's any deficiencies in you. Do you need to work on some glute strength, some calf strength, some posture, things like that? Um, but I think a lot of that strength work is about 5% of what, what you need. And so an athlete comes to me and I say, hey, your running is at 10%. You've got another 60% growth in your running. Don't worry about trying to add the 5% gym work yet because you've still got 60% growth in your actual fitness and running. And if you want to get stronger legs, go run over some hills. I remember when I was in Kenya for a couple of months training and uh, these guys running around, we were you know, current world champions, Olympians, world record holders they weren't in the gym smashing out weights. They were up in the hills running to get their legs strong. And so I learned a bit from that saying, well, actually, maybe you need to strengthen your legs and doing hills first. Um, and the second part for my runners is this. So if I got a new runner and I say, look, are you a full-time runner? No, you got to work. Well, if you've got to work, there's only so many hours in the day that you have to run. So if you take an hour away to do your gym weights, you might be taking that away from your running. Whereas the elite guys, they'll sleep until nine o'clock, get up to a morning session, after their morning session, they can go relax in the afternoon, have a sleep, do some weights, do a second run. But a lot of these other guys and girls, they've got uni, they've got work, they've got other commitments. So I look at the weights saying it's really important, but it's only 5% for what most people need. Fill your tank up with all your running needs first, your sessions, your hill running, then introduce some weights. Um, and so a couple of my elite boys have started doing some weights and they work with strength and conditioning coaches and they get that basic strength, which is really good. The only thing that I've found hard has been with the um, strength and conditioning is that it's almost like a um, results. They always want to keep getting stronger and stronger and stronger. Whereas I'm like, my guys don't need to squat anymore because sometimes if you squat too much, that's taken away from other areas. So you run slower. So I'm often having a discussion with the strength and conditioning people saying, I only want basic conditioning. I don't need them. I don't care if they can squat 100 kilos or 200 kilos because 200 kilos might make them too strong and they're running slower. What I care is they get the function out of their weights and can still run fast. That's <laughs> Excuse me. That's all good. I'm interested to know, does, does the view on gym and the importance of lifting weights change when you're dealing with, say, your master's athlete? It's, um, I, said, I think you said you had a master's athlete who was a bit of a gun and it was 65 or something. Do, yeah, Scotty's about 63, 64, getting towards yeah. 65 now. Is, is he in the gym or is the advice still kind of the same, same to him? 
So with as my athletes get older, I think strength becomes more important. So just basic act- activation stuff, whether it's activating the calves, the glutes, you know, he doesn't need to be squatting heavy weights, but using TheraBand, he can do some weights. So for Scott, it's yes, definitely do some weights. But with Scott, what I've done with him is said, more importantly, I need you to start running over some hills. Make sure you're activating the calves, the glutes, getting up these hills. Um, the main thing I found with um, my master's athletes is they need to do less. They do less fast work and more jogging. They do less pushing the boundaries to break and just do more just idling along. And so with Scott, he's just got fitter and fitter and doesn't fall apart. Um, because <clears throat> as you get older, it takes longer to recover. So if you get injury, it takes much longer to recover and therefore you lose conditioning. So Scott's doing a lot more. Yes, he does a couple of sessions, but he'll only do one a week where he pushes the boundaries and the rest is just more jogging. Whereas he grew up in an environment where he's doing three sessions a week. So he finds it crazy. He's probably upped his miles since he's been with me. He's pulled back his hard sessions. He is good to do some gym weights to activate and he's running so much better. Nice. There's there's a lot of, you know... um kind of, I guess, I guess it's human nature, right? But you see a guy like Inga Britson or, you know, Kelvin Kipton or whatever, or Kipchoge doing what they do, achieving what they achieve, you know, Kip Yeager on the 1500, you know, Hassan, all these amazing athletes. You analyse how they train and then you get, you know, people trying to replicate it. Um, what are your views on on that kind of super, super, not just elite world, but that top-end, world-breaking, record-breaking world in terms of how are they pulling this off? Um, is it why it's kind of probably pretty dangerous for us to look at their training and try and emulate it? Well, yeah. Yeah. What are your views on all this? Well, definitely. I think, um, you know, I'm a, from a worldly point of view, right? People can put their head in the sand and all that, but sometimes if uh, something's too good to be true, it probably is. Um, so I look at, you know, sessions people are doing around the world, um, <coughs> excuse me, and doing some crazy sessions. Like I'm looking at, Sessions going, there's no way you could recover from that. You do that much volume, that much speed, that intense raining, you do all this. And I don't want to use any particular names, but <clears throat> you know, we've all seen results over the last 12 months where you go, mate, that looks super inhuman. You you can't do that. And I look and go, yeah, you probably can't do that. And therefore you've got to really break down that if someone's doing these sessions, well, you know what? The recovery is the main thing you need to get over this. And if you're smashing that session really hard and you're trying to copy it, we've seen how many people get caught with drugs. Now, when you take things like EPO and all the steroids and that, the steroids don't actually make you better per se. If you gave the steroids to somebody that doesn't do any training, it doesn't do anything for them. What the steroids does in the EPO, it helps you to recover and compete better. So when people are doing crazy sessions on and on and on, you're thinking, how are they recovering so well? And we've seen it littered throughout the years. People keep giving positive drug drug tests. Um, and my biggest, the biggest light for this dropped with me when I, um, what's his name? Uh, ben Johnson, who got disqualified in the 88 Seoul Olympics. I think it was. Yeah, uh, 100 yeah. metres. And he got done for drugs. And years later, I saw an interview on him. And they said to him, you know, what did you think of, you know, the steroid use and that? And he came along the lines of going, look, when I was on when I wasn't on steroids, I could do one maximal session every three days. I still train in between, but I could do one maximal session every three days. He said, when I got on the steroids, I could do one maximal session twice a day. Now, I did the maths. I went, hang on. So you're telling me in a week, 
he can do 14 sessions on steroids. And when he wasn't on steroids, he could do two, two and a bit maximal sessions a week. So people are looking at his training going, well, <laughs> you know, I've got a clean athlete trying to copy what he was doing. You're destined to break. You, you just can't do that. And so, <clears throat> you know, I look at what some people are doing around the world and saying, that is unbelievable. It's so unbelievable. I'm not sure it can be actually achieved on normal means. And, you know, we know, do also know recoveries come so far, you know. you got companies like Theragun. They've got their boots. They've got their guns. You've got people doing ice baths. You've got nutrition. Everything has increased. So, yes, recovery has improved without a doubt. You know, people are a lot better at it. But also, too, you get a lot of people getting done for micro-doping. Yeah. You get a lot of people done for different things, you know. <clears throat> you tell me the last year there wasn't a Kenyan that's come out of Kenya without a positive drug test in the marathon. You know, yeah. there's at least a couple every year. So there are people doing it. I'm not saying who's doing it because I don't know. But if you look closely enough at sessions, you go, well, that almost seems too good to be true. And so it's really, as a coach, you got to be careful. You don't try and copy this. <laughs> and the other part with that too is with people doing sessions, you know, you can look at someone doing their session over the last three months, but you don't know the background of the last six years of training. Yeah. So they might have built up to do this. And therefore, some people can do some pretty amazing training but if you try and copy that without the uh, the DNA or the background in training, it's hard as well. So I look at what other people do in training and yes, take note of it, understand, try and, you know, observe what they're doing and how they're doing it. But then you've got to then tailor it down for your own athlete's needs. I, f I feel kind of on the same point that over the last, let's just say five years, there's been a bit of a seismic shift, but, you know, in performances kind of around the globe, you know, even, just what Jessica Hull and Lyndon Hall have, have achieved in their consistency of just completely, you know, running sub four minutes for Molly Hall and Stu McSween that, you know, dumping sub 330s to um, our marathon guys, Brett Robinson, you know, broke, obviously broke the record. You know, there's got to be more, and I'm not for one second saying those guys are on drugs. So I don't think, obviously, I don't think for one second they are on drugs, right? I think they're clean as anything. But, you know, there's got to be more, more to this massive improvement around the world then, then this, like, it's got to be shoes, training, all of it combined. You know, what are your views on that? Because it's not just a few Kenyans coming out breaking world records. We have the depth of 1,500 metre running on a world scene right now is is insane. Uh, and what are your views on on that as kind of a whole generational shift? Well, I think it's a bit of a, um, <clears throat> you also look at the other side, a bit of a golden time that, you know, success breeds success. So when you do get good, strong competitions, like I know in Australia, <laughs> in the women's eight, once it was like, well, anyone get under two minutes. Now we've got a few girls doing it. So all the other girls that are trying to get close to two, their mindset changes going, well, unless you're running 158, 157, where are you? So they look at other girls and go, well, if they can do it, I can do it. So I think that success definitely breeds success. There's one part of it to that. Second part of it is that, you know, the change in running shoes has been phenomenal. That is definitely especially the longer the distance it goes, the shoes make a difference. There's no doubt about that. So there's more people running faster because the technology has come so far. And the recovery too has come very far. Like just the recovery tools and methods and understanding the sports science. So you add all those things in together, we're definitely going to get much, much better results. There's no doubt about that. Um, but I'm also too um, not naive to think, oh, well, you know, we're now in a world where there's, all clean in sport you know we get too many results that shows that um you know you even look at you know things like tour de france you're looking at results at tour de france going wow that's just insane you know 
Yeah. If you do it on a percentage basis, how a couple of athletes can be that far above everyone else is in, insane. And there's no doubt there'll be, you know, athletes that are insane. But I remember in the 80s and 90s, I'm getting a bit older now, but, you know, if you asked any athletes in the 90s on TV, is anyone in the Tour de France on drugs? The result is no, we want a clean sport. Yeah. 10 years later, it comes out, oh, actually, we've all got results. You boys are on it. Oh, yeah, okay, we were on it. So <laughs> it's a tricky situation. Um, we are definitely think, you know, drugs in sport do play a role in some people. Definitely that with some results, and it always will. You know, I think it always will. You've got things like um, bodybuilding with Mr. Universe, where I remember at one stage they allowed a division that you can, you know, in bodybuilding, you can be on whatever you want. It doesn't really matter. Then they had the clean one, you know, the clean version of it, and blokes were still going to the clean version on drugs. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's just human nature. You know, I know where I'm from in Melbourne, AFL footy is really big. And they were still getting guys at local footy level doing drugs before games. Yeah. That's in local footy. I think that's human nature. So there's definitely in it, involved in it. Excuse <coughs> me, a terrible cough today. Um, yeah, there's definitely part of it. But like I said, I just focus on the squad that I've got, what they need to do and how we go about it. And we just try and get them the best results they can. Things that are going on around the world, you know, I don't have control on. Nothing to do with me, really. Yeah, yeah. Mate, I love getting people's opinions on the... Um that amazing Norwegian family that kind of have changed the the way that a lot of people train. And I guess got coaches thinking a little bit too about how they coach and, um, you know, um, and I just more wanted to specifically chat about one, double threshold sessions and two, the use of lactate during the sessions. Are these things that you've, you've thought about much and implemented at all with some of the really kind of top end and elite athletes you've got or, or, or not so much? Um, look, I think they've done so much good for the sport. Like they've come in and really, you know, got people thinking outside the box, which is sensational. Um, and you know, it's been really good watching all those brothers racing and doing stuff. It's been so good. Um, <laughs> in terms of all the um, the way they've gone about their training, you, you got to also put into perspective of the resources they have, the um, ability they have to actually do the lactate, do all the science, do the blood test, do all that. You know, those guys have been running for a long time and they keep revolving as they go. You know, the older brothers are sort of the pioneers for it all, you know what I mean? So they've been able to refine their coaching over probably six, seven, eight years now. Um, so for me, no, I don't – the double thresholds are good and all that sort of stuff, but also taking consideration that these guys are full-time athletes. So they can do their session and go have a sleep for four hours. Excuse me. My athletes don't have the ability to sort of do their run and have a sleep and all this stuff. So really you look at what they do and you take it onto board and you see if, if it works for what I'm doing and how you can sort of incorporate it. But the reality of it is a lot of what they're doing is just stuff that I don't have um, access to do really. Um, you know, they're professional full-time athletes. You know, those boys will be on, um, you know, especially, you know, as a family, they've probably got a million dollar budget to do stuff with. Yeah, probably you at know. least hey, minimum. Yeah, I'm sure, you know, you, they've got resources like at Nike. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. always we don't, whereas for me, I go, that's okay. You know, it's great to see what they're doing. I think it's really good. They're making people change their coaching and, you know, re-look at things differently. But I remember um, having a good chat to Steve Monaghetti one day, and Steve just said to me, he goes, look, running's been around that long. There's not that much more to undo with it, you know what I mean? Excuse me, man. Um, yeah, running's been around a long time. 
there's not a lot more you can really change. So really, yeah, you can make little twinges, you know, little changes here and there, and it can help. Um, but also, too, I reckon what those boys do really well is they believe a hundred percent in their program. Yeah, you know, and if someone believes a hundred percent in their program, your best, you know, you're gonna get the best best results from it. So I think yeah. that's also another thing is that you know you've got the right program, and you give it everything you've got, you're fine. And I have no doubt in five, ten, fifteen, twenty years there'll be some other group come out and have a slight difference on how we do stuff and suddenly that will be the next thing. Yeah, um, I have <laughs> one of my old running mates here, I, I've got a bet with him that um, Jakob in Gabritsen won't break the world record by the Paris Olympics. My mate thinks he will. So who? what side would you take, man? There's a bit of cash on the line here. I, don't, I want to make sure I'm lined up correctly. Look, I hope he does. I, I just love seeing Mikko's getting broken. I hope he does. It's just whether or not, um, and, and he's good enough to break the world record. It just comes down whether all the uh, stars line up for him. Did he get the right race, right conditions? Is he in the right shape at the same time? Did you have someone dra- drag him through? So um, <coughs> I'll sit on the fence with that one. Um, you know what? I'll, I'll go with a yes. I reckon he might do it just in time. But as I said, his main focus won't be breaking the world record right now. I think after the world champs, his main focus will be getting the gold medal. Hundred percent, yeah. Because um, I reckon at World Champs he went under a bit, a bit undone, and he probably didn't quite get the result that he wanted. So I reckon that's going to fuel him to really focus on world records can come and go. I want this gold medal. So yeah. you never know; he may not give it all for the world record till after the Olympics. Yeah, fifteen hundred meter finals at Olympic Games and World Champs—it's a different, different ball game, isn't it? It kind of gets turned into a drawn-out sprint, sprint home, and brings in those like those fast finishes. Hey. Oh. One of the things I love about the 1500 is that the tactics can be so varying. And I think we've got such a good men's group around the world for that 1500 is that we all know different tactics are going to suit different guys and it's who's going to go with which tactic. I'm (laughs) going to wrap things up. First of all, I'm a little worried about this cough of yours, mate. Are you okay? (laughs) Nah, it's to do with Melbourne, buddy. Melbourne's got so much pollen around at the moment. I did a uh, couple of runs during the week where – um, I live in a quite green belt, nice area, and uh, lots of flowers and trees. And unfortunately, the winds has uh, put it down my throat and uh, flared up my throat. And then as a result, I worked on uh, the last couple of days treating lots of clients. And uh, I think talking with pollens just killed my throat. But that's all right. It'll uh, come back in a few days, I hope. <laughs> I hope so. Um, just before we before we leave, I just your own running, uh, you're obviously still fit. Yeah, um, I think you told me before that you're about to turn 44, maybe on the weekend. So happy birthday! <clears throat> Thank um, you. How's it? How's your training changed at the moment? Like, are you still doing what you were doing at 34, or is it? Are you doing less? Nah, it's, oh yeah, a lot of my attention goes towards my family and my athletes. Uh, you know, I love jumping in my sessions with my squad and just telling all the guys that are a bit behind me, "Come on, boys, train your butt off and get ahead ahead, ahead of me." Um, <clears throat> probably the last six years, running's taken about there, but it's about the fourth importance in my life. I've got my family, I've got my work, I've got the athletes I coach, I've got general life and then running. So I have periods where I go pretty hard at it, but <laughs> excuse me again. Um, yeah, I have periods where I go pretty hard at it, but I'm not what I used to be. And to be honest, it doesn't face me anymore. I love seeing, you know, what the youngsters are doing and, you know, even just seeing running in general. So I'm doing it more for health and fitness. And whether I'm in 30 minutes, 10K shape, 31, 32 or 34, once I get to the start line, whatever shape I'm in, I race as hard as I can and enjoy it for what it, what it is. Nice, man. Um, mate, it's been lovely to chat. I think um, 
I think you're obviously, I think you're obviously a man that has um pretty good time management skills. So um, you're obviously quite busy. So it was fun to fun to catch up with you. I've been meaning to do it for a while, and um, you know, I, I probably need to get time management skills as good as yours. So um, apologies for the delay. That um, awesome to chat, learn a lot. I'm sure everyone got a lot from it. Um, yeah, take care of yourself. No, I appreciate it so much, Sam. No, thanks for having us on. And uh, to all those out in the running community, look, I just get out there, enjoy the running. And those that want to race, go race. And those that are just happy running, keep running. Um, like I said, what keeps me going up with my running is just the coaching, but also just seeing other squads, how they're going, runners in general, uh, whether you're trying to, you know, run a 5K, 10K or marathon in whatever time. It's just great seeing people out there. I did Berlin recently, didn't go that well, but... It was just great to see all the people over there racing. So everyone in the running community, hope you're all doing well and uh, keep on running. Nice, man. Hey, just quickly, did you go to Berlin with a bunch of athletes or did you just was that just something <laughs> that you wanted to do personally? Uh, I did it personally. So I was a bit of a Scott no mate. So, uh, my wife gave me the leave pass and said, you know, go do Berlin. So I did about a 10-week program and uh, set out to run about a 221 marathon. Um, I was on target till about 30Ks and my left hammy just sort of gave way and Ended up running 231. Uh, and then my good mate, Liam Adams, was there running. And um, he was there with his partner, Charlotte, who I'm good friends with. So I sort of caught up with him over there. It was really good. You know, the race didn't go to plan, but the actual event was sensational. Nice. Hey, do you have – I know you're good mate with Liam. Do you have much input into, into um, you know, life and training? Like, do you guys bounce ideas off each other, off each other or is it more – Yeah, just... we, we, we run together heaps, and we're always chatting, talking about running. Liam's coached by Ken Hall. Um he does his talking, uh, does all his coaching for him. Me and Liam talk about his training. Liam talks about mine. Um, you know, even in the lead up to Gold Coast and since then, just a few things Liam did, I actually learned from that. So I was only telling Liam last week, there's a few things in my marathon programs for the guys that I've had been coaching that I changed a little bit <laughs> um, in the lead up to Melbourne. So one of my guys, uh, Eric, ran a 221 at Melbourne, got fifth place and, uh, you know, I changed his program this year based on chatting with Liam about what he does, how he does it and things like that. So we definitely bounce ideas off each other. And um, I've been really lucky with my running. Like I've been able to speak to Liam, his coach, Ken. Um, over the years, I've spoken to a lot of, you know, good Australian coaches and um, they've given me, been so kind and generous with their time and feedback to me, the info. I'm always learning. So yeah, people like Liam always listen. I chat to Lisa Waitman, probably Oh, in the lead up to my marathon and she gave me some great tapering tips at least and you know got a world of knowledge as well so i'm lucky that i know a lot of people in running and they're very generous in giving me information so i'm always adapting and listening and listening to what other people are doing so yeah definitely with liam helps me lisa's helped me and it's been really really good i i i can't let this end just now <laughs> I know I'll get abused from a few people for not asking you about the tapering, not asking about the tapering tips that, that Lisa Waitman gave you. Um, oh. Yeah, so to avoid that abuse, can you just give me a quick, <coughs> a quick little rundown? Yes, I can. So Lisa's like Lisa's grouse. You know, Lisa's son, same age as my daughter. Lisa and my wife are good friends. I'm good mates with her, hubby Lockie. So I was out there gymnastics. I said to Lisa, "Look, I'm trying to, you know, taper for this marathon. I reckon it's probably one thing in the past I haven't done as good as I could have." And she just gave me a great idea of going three weeks out, you know, I do my run and then I did uh, five by oh, probably just lighter sessions and the week off, five days out, I flew to Berlin, did a jog of like 40 minutes, then I did five by a minute at race pace. <laughs> then I the next day did a 30-minute jog, 
and I did uh, five by 45 seconds at race pace. Then the next day, it was must have been two days out this was, and I did five by 30 seconds at race pace. And the day before, I did five by 15. So I pretty much just dropped my – I got a lot of race pace strides in four, three, two, one days out before the race. So when I hit the race, I felt like this pace is familiar. It felt really good. Because I got the marathons before where I was getting there going, just feels, you know, the, the pace feels not normal to me. And so when I got the start of line for Berlin, I was ready to go. I knew the pace, got straight into it. It felt magnificent. So that was Lisa's tip in the last week. And then obviously in the weeks before it, she just got me doing things by just ticking my legs over, pulling things back, pulling the Sunday run right back as well. And then what Liam helped help me with was um, I think one thing I did too hard early on is my taper was too hard. So three weeks out, I almost dropped my case too quickly. And I reckon the body almost battled with it as well. So I kept the quality up, but not as much of it. And I pulled the running back gradually, but I still kept my Sunday run. I think two weeks out, I still did 24K easy. Nice, man. Um, all right. Well, thank you for that again. That was awesome. Um, good luck with that cough, by the way. And, um, yeah, sorry about that. Apologize to everyone for the cough. It's all good, man. I just, I'm just worried about you. <laughs> but um, it was awesome to chat. And yeah, uh, take care. We'll chat again in the future. Beautiful. Thanks for having us. Take, take care.